Shabbat Shalom to everyone. I'm Monty Jude with Lion and Lamb Ministries, and this is an Arab Shabbat service with B'nai Shalom, the Internet Congregation. And I want to thank you for joining us this evening as we have our service. Uh, I get a number of emails and uh, letters from many of you from all around the world thanking us for doing the broadcast, and I want you to know that we are highly edified by you sending in a thankful note and remembering us, letting us know that we're reaching out to all of you. For those of you on the live broadcast that are now watching, uh, putting your Shabbat Shalom and where you're from and is always edifying to the other brethren. Um, interestingly enough, I review that stuff, and I'm very curious to see all the different folks that are joining us for the broadcast. So let me say thank you for welcoming us into your home or wherever you're at for this Shabbat service. Uh, let me cover a couple of other quick announcements for you. Um, as you know, in September next month and in October, we're going to come to the fall holidays. I want to give you a couple of dates and times for those services that will be taking place. Uh, our Yom Teruah, uh, so commonly called Rosh Hashanah service, the Feast of Trumpets, will be on Thursday evening, September 21st at 7.30 p.m. Central Time uh, here. And also we'll have a broadcast, a Kol Nidre service, all vow service for Yom Kippur on Saturday, September 30th at 7.30 p.m. as well. Those uh, That'll cover the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement. Now, obviously, at Tabernacles, we will be out at the camp uh, where we're inviting other people out. Let me just share with you, we still have some vacancies in the camp. You're welcome to come. Uh, our Feast of Tabernacles is uh, going to be for nine days. And uh, you, uh, we need you to register, though, because of the logistics of all of the people coming there because we serve the evening meal, because we have a lot of other services that we extend to your family, such as the children's program, the youth program, all of those things. We need to have advanced information. That's the reason why we request that you register with us. Now, if you decide to register after Friday, August 25, there's going to be a $50 late fee because that's when we have to make the decisions ordering food, getting the necessary consumables that are going to be needed for the camp. So if you're at all slightly thinking about it, please register and come in and find out about us and to be a part of it. Now, let me just say this, that there are other Sukkots uh, around the country. Praise the Lord. When Lionel Lamb started our Sukkot uh, here in Oklahoma, we only knew of one other Sukkot that was going on in the country, and that was down in southern Oklahoma, as a matter of fact, was the only one. Now there are many Sukkots that are set up. Praise the Lord. I'm all for uh, everybody in their community having Sukkots available near your home that you can be a part of. Now, our Sukkot has been around for a while. We've learned a lot of lessons about how to do Sukkot, so it's pleasurable for all of it. And we, of course, serve the evening meal. You know, the, during those nights, we have a full youth program, a full children's program, every every bit as big as a, a vacation Bible school if you've been part of church thing. And security is provided, um, and the camp operates um, 24 hours a day. 
and to maintain that and all the different teachers that we bring in, different musicians and so forth, our cost at our Sukkot is a little bit higher than if you just go and you get to camp for free. But let me tell you something. There's no way to escape uh, coming to Tabernacles that it's not going to cost you something. There's a lot of preparation. You've got to get time off from work. You've got to get the kids free from school. Um, you've got to bring your camping equipment. And then what are you going to eat? And you've got to do the prep and say, you bring your tent or your trailer, whatever the case may be. You're going to have to expend some effort to be a part of Tabernacles. And by the way, in ancient times, they used to actually build caravans in the various cities to travel to Jerusalem for safety and security. And that group would help take care of that particular community. They'd all have to pitch in and help out. So you need to get this out of your head that uh, it all ought to be free. There is nothing free in this world. And by the way, if you intend to keep the commandments of the Lord, there is a cost. There is preparation that is necessary for you to, just to keep Sabbath. You have to prepare to keep the Sabbath. To keep any of the feasts, you have to prepare. You have to, and you decide how good do you want it to be. So I've heard there's a couple of people critiquing our Sukkot that it's too expensive. Well, first of all, I've got a couple of curious questions on this. Of course, you are tithing to the Lord. I'm sure you are. You know, every every month you're tithing from your increase. Did you know that the tithe can be used for public worship? You can use the tithe to cover your expense of going and keeping the appointed times of the Lord. That's what the ancients did. So that no one would have excuse and say, well, I can't afford to do it. Or I can't afford to get a tent. Or I can't. If you're tithing, you can do it. Of course, if you're not tithing and keeping that commandment, then you don't have any of the Lord's resources to help you. And then you're going to suffer other consequences. All right? So we want to make sure, and in fact, uh, in the very beginning, when our Feast of Tabernacles was started, we were training up leaders and encouraged them to go set up other camps. But let me tell you, the guys that set up a camp, huge expense to them. Huge liability. And I have great liability to set up a camp so the brethren can come. And the same thing is true of other places. And do not think that, that they can escape that. They cannot. If you're going to open up a place for the brethren to come, you are responsible for those brethren. You better plan. You better not be negligent about caring for the people that come. So please plan on being a part of the fall holidays. And if you haven't made your plans for tabernacles yet, do give consideration and come out joining us. Or join another camp wherever you're at. All right. Well, I didn't want that to turn into a sermon. I just want to make sure you were invited. <laughs> uh, later on this year, we also have a Hanukkah conference coming up. It's hosted by Hebraic Family Fellowship, which is a congregation here in Norman. And it's this December 15 through 17. Registration is open for that. And it's available online. So come and be part of the Festival of Lights with us as well. We are offering a new teaching by myself called The Feasts of Messiah and the Prophetic Fulfillment, an excellent teaching for new believers as well as mature ones. Check out our main website if you get a chance. That goes hand-in-hand hand with the fall holidays coming up, and so you can have a deeper understanding for those things. Amen? All right. That is our announcements. I'm ready for Sabbath. Trust that you are as well. So Shabbat Shalom, and let's go to Kiddush.
join my family as we usher in the Sabbath. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kedoshanu Bemetzvotov Vetzivanu Lehad Lechner Shel Shabbat Amen Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by his commandments and has commanded us to be a light to the nations and has given us the issue of the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Bless the wine. Baruch Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Amen. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. One beautiful bird. Hamotzi. Hamotzi lechemin haaretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together, as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Let's bless our wives. Lord, thank you so much for blessing me with my wife. I pray that you bless her hands as she prepares our home and takes care of it throughout the week. Thank you for blessing her hands as she takes care of our child. And thank you for blessing me with everything I can do to bless my wife so that she continues to bless me. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Now we do the blessings over the sons.
Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Mich Mocha. Mich Mocha Ba'elim Adonai Mocha Nedahar Bachodesh No Rathilot O Sefele O Sefele Who is like you? O Lord among the gods, who is like you, Lord, there is none else. You are awesome in praise, doing wonders, O Lord, who is like you, O Lord. Amen. And now the blessing of the Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, asher natan lanu et derech ha'yeshua b'mashiach yeshua. All together. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day, he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. We all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch 
Hukshem Kivod Malchuto Leolam Vayed Yeshua Hamashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Ochecha, b'chul levavcha uv'kol nashicha, uv'kol me'odecha. Ve'heyu ha'devarim ha'ale asher nechim e'zavcha, hayom alevavcha. V'shinantam lavanecha, v'tebradabam p'shivtecha, v'yetecha, uv'lechtecha, v'derechu shakpika, uv'kumika. Ukershatam la oto yadecha, veheyu la totvo binanecha, uketavtama mazuzo patecha, uvisharecha, all together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. If you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Devarim, chapter 16, where our portion will begin at verse 18. And as you are opening the scripture, let me do the blessing before the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher b'chabanu mechol ha'amim Venatan lanu et torato Baruch atah Adonai nonten ha-torah ha-amen Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from among all peoples and has given us your Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. As I said, our portion begins in verse 18 of chapter 16, where it says this. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates, which the Lord your God gives you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. Our portion is entitled Shoftim, which is judges. 
This is a very uh, interesting portion. I actually love this Torah portion here. Um, it will extend through uh, Deuteronomy uh, to the first part of Deuteronomy chapter 21. And this portion will incorporate all manner of things that help us to live in a community with one another. It will talk about the appointment of judges and how they are to act and to uh, make righteous or just judgments for the people in any matters that arise that are too hard to be resolved between one another. Uh, we're going to talk about how when witnesses witness something within the community and see something taking place that then needs a judgment or that there is um, a need to cast out the wickedness within a community and how that's to take place. We're also going to talk about the governing principles of kings when the establishment of a king and how they are to act accordingly as well. Talking about the roles of the priests, the Levites, when a prophet arises, how to um, observe and what the, how, how they speak and how they speak the words of the Lord and how we are to judge that accordingly as well. It talks about property boundaries, laws concerning witnesses, proper uh, warfare, and also the law concerning an unsolved murder between cities. Um, all of these subjects all have a matter to do with how we act accordingly with one another in a community. How are we to resolve issues, resolve conflicts? This is something that we always are having to learn on a regular basis as life goes. Our instructions here will talk about how you do this within the community, how the Israelites were to do this after they enter into the land. But there's so many principles that we can take and bring down to the macro level for us individually and how we are to judge ourselves and how we are to act accordingly. So going to the beginning of our portion here where we're talking about this word judges and this appointment of judges. Judges are appointed by the people. They are chosen. They are selected because of their skill, because of their knowledge of being able to make a good judgment. That is why they would be elevated to a judge. Not everyone, you couldn't just stand up and say, hey, I'm going to be a judge according to the Torah. No, these were appointed officers and judges. This word shoftim is very interesting in the Hebrew as well. If the uh, shoftim is the plural for judges, which the root being judge, which is the Hebrew word shafat. And this has three Hebrew letters in it. And I always like looking at the meaning of the different Hebrew letters. Um, this word has a um, sheen, a pay, and a tav. And the sheen can have multiple meanings. Sometimes it's the representation of El Shaddai. It also can mean the destroyer. Uh, the pay represents the mouth or what anything that is spoken. And then the tav at the end of the word is a very interesting letter as well. It can represent a snake or a serpent or something that is surrounded or encompassed. And what we have here in this meaning is that a judge can do one of two things. A judge can be the person who speaks the word of the Lord, who uh, shares and speaks the commandments and makes righteous judgments according to the law of Moses. Everything that he speaks is the words of El Shaddai Almighty, and that surrounds and encompasses the power and the protection of the Lord within the community that they judge. You can draw that meaning out of that, of that Hebrew word. But you could also take a look at the other meanings. A mouth that can speak destruction, that can twist the words and twist the commandments like a serpent, and that a judge had to always be a righteous person who had the ability to speak the words of the Lord and surround a community with the power and the protection of the Lord, or they could speak corruptly and could cause 
absolute destruction. What do we say about Sodom and Gomorrah when we say what was the reason why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed? Was it the was it the great sin, the fornication, all of that? No, it was the unjust judgment that was taking place, the unrighteous judges that would do harm to the widow, to the orphan. That was the reason why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. And this is a warning we should always think when the appointment of judges were to take place. This is something they had to focus on. It's interesting here also it says that they were to be appointed at all the gates, the gates of the city. What was also at the gates? What was also commanded to always be on the gate? The mezuzah. The commandments of the Lord, that the judges were to always be able to, when they make a judgment, they always are looking and seeing they're at the gates and they can point to the mezuzah and the commandments of God that were there present at the gates. They are to make a just judgment, a righteous judgment. Let me continue on reading here at verse 19. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality nor take a bribe for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. Verse 20, you shall follow what is altogether just and you may live and inherit the land that you may live and inherit the land which the Lord your God is giving to you. Now, in verse 20 there, I'm reading from the New King James. Um, this is an area where I kind of prefer a different translation uh, at times, because in that verse, verse 20, where most translations will say justice, justice, you shall pursue. Or justice and only justice you shall pursue. In the Hebrew there, it shows the word tzedek, which means righteousness or justice. It's translated both ways at different times. But in the Hebrew there, in the original manuscript, it says righteousness, righteousness you shall pursue. Some people think that that's redundant when in truth of fact it is not. What it is is it's causing you to not only are you to seek justice, but you're supposed to do it in a just way. Not only are you supposed to seek righteousness, but you're supposed to do it righteously. That it is the manner and procedure in which you do these judgments. Not only do we want the right thing, we want it in the right way. The means do not justify the end. When we want the right thing, we want to make sure that it's done properly, appropriately, and that when justice is done, it is done with due process, it is done justly. When we seek righteousness, it is always done from start to finish in the right way. That is what the meaning of that is. Now, when we're talking about judgments, and we're talking about the appointment of judges, instantly we start to think of maybe other scriptures that we have memorized in our head, namely Matthew chapter 7, where it says, Judge not lest you be judged, because the manner and measure in which you make a judgment is how you will be judged as well. John seven twenty four talks about, says, Judge not by appearance, but make righteous judgments. These are all things, the, the Messiah taught these things. Paul taught these things. These are instructions for us to keep in mind and to, when it comes to making judgments, we do it in the right way. Now, one of the things we're not talking about here is we're not talking about the judgment of eternal damnation. That's what we often get caught up with whenever we go to judge a brother or we go to say that we think somebody did something wrong. When we are warned to not make that judgment. In fact, if you would, turn with me to the um, book of James, to chapter 4. Starting at verse 11, I want to read this passage talking about not being mindful of our judgments. It says this, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is but one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge one another? That's what you have to be mindful of, is that when you... 
where to pass judgment, you're not passing, you're, you're actually judging the law. You're judging what God has done. That you are not to pass that kind of judgment upon one another. However, we are to be our brother's keeper. Our brother's keeper. We are to maintain our community. We are to cast out the evil, the wickedness from our communities. But what the way this was done is that you were to appoint a judge that they would be the ones who would know the law, know the instruction, and that they would then make the righteous judgments. A couple of other verses I want to point out. Psalm 119, verse 174, where it says, All commandments are righteousness. If we're to seek righteous judgments or righteousness, then the commandments of the law is that righteousness. It's not our righteousness. It is God's righteousness and his commandments and his law. Also, Isaiah 51 at verse 7. This is when it's talking about those that are to be and do righteousness. It says this, listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people who in whose heart is my law. So that's what it is, is when you are to do righteousness, the law of the Lord is on your heart. And that is the one that is one of the qualifications for who you were to listen to and who the judges and the judgment that they are to make. You are to listen to those things because this is where the law is upon their heart. And when they share in a judgment, you're not seeking after their opinion. When you were to look to a judge and you're looking for a righteous judgment, you're not looking for their opinion. You're looking for what does the law say according to God? Because you, this person who was appointed was qualified because they had the law upon their heart and they knew that scripture. They knew these instructions. Okay. At verse seven or chapter 17, we then go into talking about that if there is um, anyone who is found within the gates, who anyone who has sinned, transgressed the covenant, who has served other gods, it's to, you're to bring them forward. They were to bring witnesses. And that if it was confirmed by multiple witnesses, they were to be put to death by two or three witnesses. And that the hands of the witnesses should be the first to put them to death. This comes to mind for those of us um, with a new covenant belief. This we're, we're reminded of when the... Um, Priests of the temple brought before Yeshua the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And what the Messiah said is that him without sin cast the first stone. What he was that references back to several things of Torah, one of them being that the hands of the witnesses are the first to put them to death. And if you remember that story, no witnesses came forward to be the one who would be the first to put the woman to death. He tells the woman, go and sin no more. But all of this having to do with how we are to judge within our community and to cast out the evil that is before us. Now, verse 8 of chapter 17. If a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge between degrees of guilt for bloodshed, between one judgment or another, or between one punishment or another, matters of controversy within your gates, then you shall arise and go up to the place which the Lord your God chooses. We've already established from last week that that would be Jerusalem, where the priests are. You shall come to the priests, the Levites, and to the judge there in those days, and inquire of them, and they shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment. You shall... 
you shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in that place which the Lord chooses. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you according to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you. According to the judgment which they tell you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce upon you. This is the way that this worked. When you appointed these judges, when you appointed and you went to the priest, you went to the Levite. These are people that have already been established that they know the law. They know the covenants. When it talks about the Levites and the priests. These are men who grew up in this family of the Levites who were not given an inheritance of the land, but their inheritance was to be from the Lord and that they were to serve the Lord all their days. Levites would grow up and they would know the Torah. They would know the scripture, the commandments. They were to be used as judge as judges for the people. They would make these righteous judgments. And it tells us very carefully that when we went to them, that we would to hear that judgment and do according to that judgment. Now, when we're talking about this here, man, this this seems like this kind of putting us under some sort of command or bondage or, 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 or some sort of system that we would have to submit to where it's like whatever they say, that's what we have to do. Well, one of the things that in all these matters, you got to remember what it first said. If a matter arises, which is too hard to judge, too hard, that would mean something that might come up. That's an issue or a dispute that maybe there's not a specific commandment in Torah that instructs us how to do this, how to cover these things. One of the uh, passages of scripture that has a great amount of detail in our commandments is uh, Exodus chapter 21, the Torah portion of Mishpatim, which is actually shares the same root of Shuftim, judges or judgments, and that there's a whole list of commandments on how to righteously judge amongst brethren. If you loan an ox, if you share that, if it if it harms somebody, there's restitution, there's things to be made. Eye for eye, we have all of these systems in place that would give us the proper righteous judgment according to the law on how to resolve matters. But for this matter, this is the matter in which it's too hard to judge. Areas of controversy, areas of issues. This is where it goes down to when that we have always counseled with people as well. That if you go to a congregation, if you go to a place where there's a leader, a teacher, and if you sit under their instruction and you look at them as that person who shares the law, who instructs the people, that you're to sit under them and listen to what they say. When people ask us what calendar they should use or what uh, certain when they should keep certain holidays, or whatever, wherever, whatever congregation you follow, you find yourself in, whatever fellowship, whatever community you're in, submit to the authority that is there. That is in accordance to the law that it says here that it's, there's an issue that's, man, not, not covered in Scripture. We don't have an actual answer. But listen to those who have a heart for the Lord, who teach the Lord, who have been either appointed or raised up or anointed to be leaders of fellowships, communities, congregations. And that they, if the law is upon their hearts, then they can judge righteously according to the word of the Lord because they have committed their life to that study. Now, like I said, for those in leadership, they have to be extremely careful of the things that they teach, the things that they instruct the people on, because that judge, like I said, in the meaning of the Hebrew word, has the ability to either cause destruction or is able to surround the community with the power and protection of the Lord. That is something that we always have to be mindful of if those anyone is in that position. But for those that are questioning this, questioning that, who have matters that are in issues that are difficult to resolve, then go to the priest, the Levite, the judge, whoever it is that would have those commandments and hear what their 
recommendation is. Hear what they, their interpretation of the law is. You're not seeking their opinion, but you're instead seeking through them what God would have to say about the matter. And whatever they say, it's commanded that you should follow that. That's what you should do. One of the things that you don't want to do, and if our, as our passage continues there, it says to not act presumptively in everything that you do. What that would be is this, is that if you think you have an opinion on the matter and you have the solution, verse 12, it says this, Now the man who acts presumptively, who will not heed the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God, or the judge, that man shall die. So you shall put away the evil from Israel, and all the people shall hear and fear and no longer act presumptively. This is mentioned several times also in Scripture, Numbers chapter 15, verse 30, where it says it doesn't matter if you're the alien who sojourns with you or a native born. If you act presumptively, then that is sin and that is um, you should not do that in any matter of the Torah. They think that you know best. If we're here, if we're here to work within a community, we're to submit to those judges and we're to judge amongst ourselves. There's another passage I'd like to remind you of, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31, where it says, Judge amongst yourself so that you are chastened by the Lord and not condemned with the world. See, what it is is that, what it is is this, is that if you are able to judge amongst yourselves from brother to brother within your community, and if there's a mistake that takes place there, let the Lord be your judge there. But don't do something that would cast yourself out from that community of the Lord to then be condemned with the rest of the world. We are to judge amongst ourselves. That's what we are to do. We're supposed to look and, and so that we ourselves, that the Lord sees righteousness in us, that we would cast the wickedness from our communities, from our lives, and that then the Lord would be our judge and not to condemn ourselves with the rest of the world. That is one of the things when it comes to being in a community. That's why it is better to be in a community with fellow like-minded brethren so that we can all work together, so that we can iron sharpens iron, so we can lift each other up, encourage each other. That is what we want to do. And part of that has to do with appointing these, understanding these judgments that take place. One of the things that's also interesting when it talks about the priests, the Levites, those being the ones who would be the ones who you would go to to make those judgments. We're also reminded about Moses, Moses, the judgment seat of Moses. And we're reminded of the time in which he used to preside over all of the judgments of Israel. And from morning until night, the people would come and they would ask Moses to judge. And then his father-in-law, Jethro, comes and says, what are you doing? And he says, appoint other judges into this place so that they can hear those matters. And the thing that you got to remember is Moses was a Levite. Moses was a Levite, so he was the one who was, uh, who was appropriate to make those judgments. As time goes on, um, many of the other prophets that of Israel were also from the house of Levi. Samuel, the prophet, was from the house of Levi. Ezekiel, Ezra, Malachi were all from the tribe of Levi. Many of the other prophets, we actually don't know their true lineage of exactly what tribe they came from, but many of them arose out of Jerusalem out with a great knowledge of Scripture, and it's believed that many of them were Levites because of their knowledge and their understanding of Scripture. And so all of these prophets, who were also people who spoke and did the work of the Lord, who spoke the words of the Lord, they were also from the tribe of Levi, and they always had the law written on their hearts. In fact, I want to mention uh, Malachi chapter 2, at verse 7 speaks this 
It says, for the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. All of the knowledge of all the Torah and all the law that was what to be was to be on the minds of the priests and that from their mouth, everything that they did and everything they spoke was to be the law and that they were the messenger of the Lord of hosts. This is why these these men and people were qualified to speak these judgments. These are all the ways in which people would come and they would ask for this a righteous judgment in all matters that could not be resolved. Now, as we continue on in the rest of our uh, chapter here, starting at verse 14, we're now going to talk about something that's very interesting here. Moses, again, in the book of Deuteronomy is speaking, and it's from this passage that we actually get the name of the book, Deuteronomy. Let me read here now, verse 14. When you come to the land which the Lord your God has given you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you. Whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren, you shall set as king over you. You may not set up a foreigner over you who is not your brother, but he shall, but he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. It also shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests and Levites. And it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren that he may, may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. I mentioned at the very start of the book of Deuteronomy that this is where we get the name Deuteronomy, which means second law, which comes from where this commandment about a king, when he was to be appointed, he was to make a copy of the law for himself so that he would know those words, know those instructions and act righteously. It's very interesting how this passage begins here at verse 14, where it says, when you go into the land, I've already instructed you about making judges. But when you go into the land and then you say for yourself, I want a king. It's interesting because you can look in your Bible. This is a prophecy here of Moses. A fulfilled prophecy of Moses. Very easy to see how it's fulfilled. All you got to do is flip into your Bible and look and look at the next couple of books. And one is called Judges, which is a period of time in which the Israelites appointed judges over themselves and presided over these things. And then a little bit later, we have a couple of books called Kings, where the children of Israel then they said to themselves, we want a king. It's the, this is a prophecy that even though we're instructing them, hey, when you appoint judges, this is how to do, this is how to act and as a community, as a nation. But when you say you want a king, well, when you do say that, at least do it this way. And so this is a, this is a prophetic utterance by Moses that is fulfilled in the very next couple of books of our Bible that we can see that's very interesting and, and it's kind of interesting to look at it that way. Now, when this king was set up, he was to be appointed in the same way that, say, a Levite would know the word of the Lord in the same way that a judge would be instructed. He was to know these commandments because if he is to act righteously and to act justly in, in accordance with the law, he was to know the law. He had to know these things. He had to know these instructions. And so it said when he became a king, 
He had to sit down and he had to write for himself a copy of the book. Now, he can't just sit down all by himself, grab a copy and sit down and then write a copy. No, it's very interesting if you read the language there. It says, from the one before the priests and the Levites. This was to be done with witnesses. This was to be done to make sure that the king making a copy of the law didn't change one stroke, one letter, one tittle, one thing that to make sure so that he could then, I don't know, give himself an advantage in one way or another. There is certain passages of scripture and the Hebrew language is so amazing. There's passages in scripture where you can change one Hebrew letter and it can change the entire meaning of the verse or of the instruction. I talked about this with the Shema, where if you were to change the Ain in Shema or the Dalit at the Echad, that those things would it would completely change the meaning. So if one was ever make a copy of the law, if one was ever, I would warn anyone who'd ever want to make their own translation of the scripture. To do so with some, maybe some witnesses, maybe someone to help you to do this. Because if anything changes in that scripture, you can twist the words just in the same way that a judge can speak and twist the words for our destruction and not for our benefit. You have to be mindful of which law you are following. And then what was that law supposed to be with? Where was it supposed to be with the king? It's supposed to be with him at all times. When was he supposed to read it? All the days of his life is when he was supposed to learn so that he can learn to fear the Lord. And he was careful to observe all of these things. This is the pattern in which judges, when they're appointed, they already have these lists of instructions and how things that they are to follow. And they know these things because they learned them from a young age. When a king was appointed, maybe not necessarily the case, but he was to know and he needed to know all these same things for the law of the Lord through Moses was the governing principle of the land. These things are were needed to be known. Now, the rest of our portion here continues on into chapter 18, and it talks about, once again, avoiding the wicked customs of the land. Let me go ahead and jump ahead to chapter to verse 9. When you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. You shall not be found among you. Anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritualist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. This is a warning to anyone who has a religion that appears to be something where you go before someone, you go before a judge, so to speak. And they would say, I have some utterance of the Lord and this is the miracle that I have to perform. Something that's magical in nature. These are things, this warning comes right on the heels of as we're talking about judges and appointments. These are things in which somebody would use to entice you to follow them or entice them to hear these words. We're supposed to hear which words? The words of the Lord. Righteousness according to the law of Moses. We're not supposed to listen and follow after any of these things that appear magical in nature. These are evil abominations and they are to be cast out from your land. The very next passage goes on and talks about this. It talks about the raising up of a prophet. Now, this is a very famous prophecy here. 
which um, you can spend an entire uh, message talking about this, where it talks about a Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me, like Moses, from your midst, from your brethren, and he sh- him you shall hear according to all you desire to the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. The prophecy of the raising up of a prophet like unto Moses. The very next verse goes on and says, The Lord said to me, when they have, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up a prophet from them, like you, from among your brethren, and will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak all that I command him. There's many who believe that there's actually two prophecies here going on, of a prophet and then of a prophet like unto Moses, and then some other prophet like Moses as well. This connects over to John chapter 1. At verse 19, where the question to Yeshua was, are you Elijah? And the answer was no. Are you the prophet? The answer was no. However, we do believe that uh, Yeshua was a prophet like unto Moses. But then there was this other prophet that is prophesied that would also speak and do all the words of this law. So there's a fascinating prophecy here. As it continues on, though, there's another warning at the end of this. Verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak the word, speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptively, and you shall not be afraid of him. So we have this talking about also not only the raising up of judges, the raising up of kings, but then also another warning of when a prophet rises among the people. We talked about this in a previous portion as well, that it's like if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams says these things, if they cause you to follow after other gods, you're to not to listen to him, not to listen to those words. Now, when we think about the word prophet, though, many of us look at prophet and we immediately think, oh, that's somebody who speaks into the future. In fact, sometimes we look at any time that we see the words, the word prophet or think that somebody is a prophet, so to speak, we tend to look at them like what was described a couple of verses earlier. We tend to look at them like a soothsayer, like somebody who can see the future. But we have to always remember that a prophet is somebody who does the will of the Lord and speaks the words of God. That's what a prophet is. Once again, another person that's raised up within a community amongst the brethren that speaks righteousness, that does justice or speaks to justice and righteous and just judgments. That is what a prophet is, that all of those things and all the words of all of these various stations within our community are all instructed to be that they are speakers of the word, speakers of the law. They do not lead us after other gods. They do not cause us. They're not. They don't take a bribe. They don't follow after these other gods. That is what we always have to look for within our community. And that's one of the things that goes back to somebody might take this passage and talk about and Judaism will take all of these passages with regards to false prophets and they will apply it to Yeshua and say that Yeshua causes us to not follow after other gods and to lead us to other places. Well, that's what modern day followers of Yeshua of Jesus have gone down to say. But if you go and you read that scripture and you go on and you read those gospels. Yeshua spoke all the words of the law and the instruction, and he did not come seeking his own righteousness. 
He came following after his father, his father who sent him. There's many passages that talk about how that he is the one who follow who came in the name of his father that all of those things and all of those words and all those judgments came from his father that makes him a prophet according to the torah that makes him an appropriate judge and king over israel because of the words he spoke the law was upon his heart the law was in his mouth in the words that he spoke so some might take some of these things and look at a judge a king a prophet and all of these judgments and do they apply does yeshua line up with these appointed positions and i believe that he does because in all of these cases all of these things were for that the proof for him to be in those positions was because he speaks the word of the lord and the law of moses because he said had you believed moses you'd believe in me for he wrote of me he spoke of the law with great um he was with authorship with as if he was the true author of those words so one of the things that we should always look to when it comes to judging amongst the people when we're within a community and we're encouraging one another we have the warning don't judge each other obviously make sure that you're not speaking of the speck in your brother's eye while you have a plank in yours and that you're to work these things out now if you ever come across a problem or an issue that is difficult to judge then involve somebody else involve somebody that is trusted who or maybe who is appointed who knows the words of the law and can give a righteous judgment to you these are all things that are encouraged for us to work amongst the community and to be blessed amongst the brethren in all the things that we do these instructions and these teachings they're for our benefit they're for us these were given to the israelites before they were going into the land before they, they were a, a mixed multitude they were a mass company of people but when they go to settle down and take the land of canaan they needed to establish this governing order so that they can follow these judgments, these commandments, and these instructions appropriately, and that all of these matters and issues can be resolved in the right and appropriate way. Now, we personally can always look at ourselves, and we too can make judgments for ourselves, not to judge our brother, but to look upon ourselves, and that to use the Torah and the instruction as the measuring stick for, are we doing righteousness according to the law? Are we doing the right thing? Because, it, like I said, God wants us to judge ourselves, to look at ourselves, to remove the wickedness from our lives, to cast those things out from our communities. Well, we can do that also in our own personal spiritual walks as well. That we need to look at ourselves with a righteous judgment. And in fact, you can establish an accountability. You can bring in a brother who you trust, who knows the scripture in their heart, who can then share and speak into you. And that's what it is to surround yourself with good counsel as well. And that you can make these judgments for yourself in your personal lives. I've been talking about how you do this within a community, but for those who are maybe not in a large community or maybe they're off on their own who might be hearing this message, I would encourage you to try and surround yourself with an accountability, somebody else who can act as a judge, who can speak the words of the Lord into you. And not that you just submit to them, but you allow your brother to encourage you, to strengthen you. And to, if there's something in your life, wickedness, something that's an abomination to the Lord that needs to be removed, then make that judgment for yourself. Don't be caught up in the condemnation of the world when the Lord comes and judges the world for what it deserves and all of the abominations that have taken place. Don't be caught up in that. 
But instead, look at yourself, submit yourself to one another, to our brethren, be our brother's keeper, and that work those issues out amongst ourselves to remove that wickedness, remove those abominations, so that we are judged by the Lord and not caught up in the condemnation of the, of the world. Our very last verse here of our Torah portion, going all the way to chapter 21, it says this, putting a conclusion on the whole thing, that when you, you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you, and when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. As a continuation of our last week's portion, talking about doing what's either right in our own eyes or what's right in the eyes of the Lord, let us always remember and let that, those words conclude and that we always, in all things that we do, we do what is right in the eyes of the Lord and not what is right in our own eyes and in our own judgment, but to submit to the Lord and use the people who he has blessed and who have his word and his commandment upon their hearts. Listen to them and be encouraged by our brethren who lift each other up, who strengthen each other and speak the words of the Lord in all things. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your teaching and instruction. Father, we submit to you and to your judgments, Lord, in all things that you do. We love the law. We love the commandments, Father, that you've given to us, that they are for life and they are for our instruction and they are for our benefit. And Father, you have told us and the stipulations for what it is to lift up a judge before us. You've given us stipulations for what a king is to do who is raised up over us from our brethren. And Father, what a prophet is to do when they rise up and they speak your words as well. And Father, we see you, we see your son Yeshua as the fulfillment of those stations, Father. That he is our judge, he is our king, and he is a prophet, Lord. And he speaks all of those words. And so, Father, may we always submit to that instruction, Father, and those teachings. And may we always go to you and seek to you, Lord, for all the judgments and issues that we come across. May we not act presumptively, Lord, to think that we know what is right in our own eyes, Father, but may we always turn to someone or to you, Father, who would speak the words of righteousness and would do so with a righteous, in a righteous and just way. So, Father, we love you. We bless you. We thank you for all the instructions, for your instructions of Torah, the commandments, and for our portion this week. I pray a special blessing upon everyone keeping Sabbath this week. And may, Father, we always pray that your will be done in all things. And we give you all the honor, the glory, and the praise. It's in your Son, Yeshua, we pray. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. And now the blessing after the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher natalanu Torah temet V'chayalam natah betocheinu Baruch atah Adonai nonten ha-Torah ha-Amen Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the Torah of truth and has planted everlasting life in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. If you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. And I'd like you to go to chapter 51 and uh, put your finger there on verse 12. Uh, Ephraim, I want to thank Ephraim for covering Shof team about judges. Uh, and let me, before I get into this portion, I, I, I want to pull a point across because there is a parallel in the Torah teaching that ties into this Haftorah uh, portion. You heard Ephraim share the famous words, justice, justice, you shall pursue. The idea that that's not redundant, that, that, that the first word justice means something different from the second one. Uh, 
justice, you know, doing that which is right, righteousness. And then you shall do that in a just way. What commonly we call in the legal profession due process. If you accuse somebody of something, you have to go through due process to make sure that if you render judgment against this person, that it was done justly. That way, that's what protects the innocent if they're falsely accused and things like that. Now, I, there, there's many applications for this thing. The whole legal profession has a huge thing on due process to explain how it is. But the same thing is true of us. What the Lord has really called for us is that when we seek justice, and by the way, if you live with other human beings, I guarantee you there's going to be an opportunity come soon where you're going to have a slight conflict and you're trying to get justice. You're trying to get something resolved. Well, the prophecy says you must do it in a just way. Um, the idea, let's say that you're falsely accused and you're slandered. Well, slandering the guy back is not, is not a just way of dealing with it. And so that's not seeking justice properly. Um, let me elevate it to a much higher level, though, for you. In our country right now, uh, this year, in 2017, we are having a vast number of protests, primarily protesting against the president, protesting against his policies, and uh, the most recent thing is protesting against um, symbols and monuments they think represent racism. For example, um, the Confederate soldiers and Robert E. Lee and the statues of him, they want all these statues taken down. Now, I want to make sure you understand where I'm coming from on this. Do you have the right to protest? Do you have the right to seek justice on something? You, you very much do. If you want to seek justice on a matter, you certainly can. But you must do it in a just way. You must, if you pursue righteousness, it must be done righteously in the way that you do it. So if you're a protester and you go to protest, I want to, I want to get rid of these statues because they represent racism and we don't want racism. Okay, I understand your argument. Okay, then you must do it in a just way. If your protesting turns into a riot, if it turns into violence, that is not pursuing justice in a just way. You just negated your whole argument before God. There is no righteousness whatsoever, no justice in pursuing that. So in this country, we have recourse because of our Constitution. If we don't like the decisions the government is making, we don't like its policies, vote for new representatives that will go to D.C. and represent the Congress and the Senate and vote for another guy for president because we have the system set up to that we can change it in a just way. Now, when you decide to abandon that just way and you decide to do something on your own or be a mob or a bunch of anarchists, you know, unlawful people doing unlawful things. By the way, it is against the law in every state, 50 states, you cannot riot. It's against the law. So if you decide to riot, I don't care if the media is still calling it a protest. It's rioting. And it's unjust in its way. That's one of the applications that we see about the truth of Torah. 
Now, I mention that because this portion of the Hoftor that goes with it is the fourth portion of the seven Hoftors of Consolation. And as I shared with you, these are, uh, these are um, it's, it's a homiletic teaching. It's a sermon, an ancient sermon that has been taught to the people at this time of the year. And it's about the great story about how, you know, we Israel... We've disobeyed the Lord. We've separated ourselves from the Lord. We've been scattered in the nations. But then we have the promise of redemption that God has said, I will redeem you and I will bring you back from the nations and I will establish you in my kingdom. So this is the great story of the great story of redemption. This is the reason why the Messiah came to bring redemption and to bring the scattered exiles back from the nations wherever they've been scattered. Now, one of the conflicts, let me just mention it to you again, the reason why a lot of my Jewish brethren don't accept the claims of Yeshua the Messiah is that he came and did the work of redemption, but he didn't bring the scattered exiles back. I want you to understand, there's two types of redemption. There's personal redemption, and there's corporate redemption. These prophecies are talking about corporate redemption, bringing all of the people back correctly, bringing the entire remnant. But personal redemption, you have to be personally redeemed to be a citizen of the kingdom before you can be brought back. You have to be a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob before you can be part of that corporate group in the kingdom that comes back. So what did the Messiah come and do first? Personal redemption. Each one of us have to go before the Lord, deal with our sins, you know, ask for his forgiveness, receive the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Then we're part of the remnant of Israel scattered in the nations, and then we're looking forward to at the end of the age when God will restore all things and he'll bring us back according to the promises. So this homiletic teaching is talking about that greater story of the corporate redemption. Sometimes what the Jews refer to as the final redemption. It's the one where we all come back to the promised land. Now, this portion is the middle one of the seven. It's the fourth one. So you would think that this portion would be a very powerful one about this whole Hoftors of the Consolation, and you would be absolutely correct about it. In fact, let me take you very quickly to chapter 52, to verse 9, and you're going to see the key verse that is the whole summation of the seven Hoftors of Consolation. Verse 9 of chapter 52 says, Break forth, shout joyfully together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people and he has redeemed Jerusalem. The title of this Hoftors of Consolation, these seven teachings, is called The Consolation of Israel, the Redemption of Jerusalem. It comes from that verse. And I remind you again that this was a very powerful teaching in ancient times. still remains to this day a very powerful teaching, explaining to all of us what is God's great plan for restoration. And if you recount in the Gospels, when Yeshua as a child was taken for the first time to the temple by his parents, they met there a man named Simon. The scripture says he was a devout man and that he believed in the consolation of Israel. He was looking for the consolation of Israel. What's that mean? He was looking for this great sermon to become a reality. He also met a woman named Anna. 
it says of her, she was looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So God gave two witnesses the first time Yeshua came into the temple. Here are the people looking for the consolation of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem. And both of these people testified that Yeshua as a child was the fulfillment of what God was doing. And in fact, the man, Simeon, uh, had specifically said that the Lord had promised him that he would not close his eyes in death until he'd laid his eyes on the Messiah, and that when he saw Yeshua, he specifically said the Lord had been faithful to him, and now he could close his eyes, for he had seen the redemption. He had seen the Redeemer to come forth. Uh, this ancient teaching makes its all the way into the New Testament. And it's referring to those people in the New Testament as believing in this. I tell you, this sermon is very powerful and properly sets the stage to understand the work of Messiah in his first coming of redemption, the work of the Messiah when he comes the second time to do the work of restoration. And for us, uh, that is a breakthrough, uh, honestly, from my Jewish brethren and from my Christian brethren, because my Jewish brethren thought that the restoration was supposed to happen at the same time the redemption. And my Christian brethren thought the restoration happened at the same time the redemption happened. And they're both wrong. They're two separate events. And if you'd have paid attention to what the prophets had, Moses and the prophets had said, you'd understand what Yeshua did. And you'd understand it correctly. So with that incredibly wonderful introduction, let us go back to chapter 51. And beginning at... Verse 12, it says this, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Now, if you recall, in the first three, it, the first command was to comfort my people. Comfort them, because they need to be comforted. They're not comforted. And then the next one was about how that they had, they feel forsaken. They feel separate from God. Well, if you walk away from the Lord, that's the way you feel. If you decide to sin, all of a sudden you don't find yourself in the presence of God. Because God is not going to stand there in the presence of it. Because you have to walk away from God to be able to sin. You cannot sin in the presence of God. Did you know that? If you recognize God's presence, it's impossible for you to sin. It's only when you turn your face away, you turn the other direction, you blind your eyes, you, know, you don't sense the Lord. Now you can sin. And when you do it... Well, where's the Lord? I, I don't see the Lord. So that, that's a, a good description of what sin does to you. If you're going to fix that, well, you're going to have to turn back to what the Lord has said. As a corporate group, uh, that doesn't just miraculously happen. You have to change things to, to go back. Now, how do we do that? How do we get to the redemption? Well, the Torah is filled with it. Guess what it is? Honestly. Guess what it is? This is the, I'm going to give you the traditional teaching on this. this is the, you go read a Jewish commentary on this teaching, I'll tell you exactly what they say. You must pursue justice. Just like the Torah portion is tied into this. You must make a decision that we're not going to do the wrong things anymore. That we're going to be just, a just people. We're going to seek righteousness. We're going to pursue those things. Now, the Torah lesson has told us, yeah, when you go make that decision to do it, you've got to do it in a just way. If you're going to pursue righteousness, you have to do it in a righteous way. 
You cannot use other methods. You can't use shortcuts. If you want to help a whole bunch of people to become righteous, you cannot do unrighteous things to help them to do that. It just doesn't work that way. You have to do it consistently uh, based on its definition of, of justice and righteousness. And so one of the understandings that here that says, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Let me read the rest of the verse. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies and the son of man who's like grass? That you have forgotten the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. That you fear continually all day long because of the fury of the oppressor and he makes you ready to destroy. But where is the fury of the oppressor? And it goes on a little bit further and says, I know the thing you're saying. You're saying that you're in harm's way. And by the way, there are a lot of people who when they see that justice is the way to go, and it must be done in a just way, because of the oppressors, they think that will be dangerous to do. Right now, there are a lot of mayors, governors, congressmen, they're all being put to the test. They're all being tested. Will you stand up for that which is just and right, or are you going to do what, the, what you think is the majority of the people want? By the way, the majority of the people, I'm talking about the protesters who've become rioters, who are ridiculous in their pursuit. Now, by the way, I, th I think it's a very noble and proper thing for us to not tolerate racism. I do believe it. But I don't think the method of getting rid of racism is to call another group and accuse them of racism. Like, I'm a white man. You know, so I'm a racist. That's, that's how we solve the problem of racism over there, right? Okay. Stupid. The thinking on this is absolutely bizarre. Okay. But right now, congressmen, senators, mayors, judges, they're all being put to the test. Will you stand up that for that which is right? Will you do it in a righteous way? They're all being put to the test. By the way, in my... My opinion, sadly, they're cowards. They're afraid of the oppressor. And the protesters are the oppressors. And God is saying, if, if we're going to get back where we restore all these things, and by the way, he's going to say some wonderful things about what he's going to do. He says, I'm going to take all those people out. I'm going to take them out. By the way, I would remind you in the book of Revelation, the final statement made by God in the book of Revelation about those that are going to be judged, you know, murderers and fornicators and all, all the bad people that are going to be. You know what heads the list? Cowards. That's the first one on the list that God's going to come after. Cowards. You know, these are people who don't love justice. They don't love righteousness. They're opportunists. They're simply trying to figure some way to get through it and get around it and so forth. Well, that's the way a criminal thinks. That's the way a lawbreaker thinks. That's the way somebody who's lawless thinks. That's not what his people is supposed to do. That's not what God wants us as his people to do. We are to stand for justice and do it in a just way. 
and we're to stand for the real redemption that truly does comfort. And we're not to be afraid of the oppressor and those who come against us when we are seeking that. Let me read further for you. Uh, at verse uh, 14. The exile will soon be set free and will not die in the dungeon, nor will his bread be lacking. Isn't that interesting? He says uh, the captive is going to be let loose. And we are, whether you realize it or not, we are scattered in all the nations. We're captives. I can tell you right now, you go to the average believer right now and say, hey, pack up and go to the promised land. Can you do it? No. You've been taken captive by a whole variety of things. Your job, your profession, lack of resources, blah, blah, blah. You're stuck here for the most part. You're a captive. And some of you are in dungeons. I mean, some of you, the lives that we live here in the you might as well be living in a dungeon. You know, it's terrible. And we're in need. You know, they use bread as the example for lacking. Verse 15, For I am the Lord your God, who stirs up the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in your mouth, and I have covered you with the shadow of my hand, to establish the heavens and to found the earth and say to Zion, You are my people. I want you to stop and just think about that for a moment. You know, the Lord has made these promises that he's going to restore us and he's going to protect us and he's going to do good to us and so forth. But look around. Hmm. So where exactly is the Lord in this great plan? I mean, what is really going on? Well, let me remind you of something. Even the Lord, when he is seeking justice, he does it in a just way. Let me tell you what he's really doing at the moment. All this time that's been going by. He's gathering evidence. So when his judgment comes down upon the enemies of Israel, he has the evidence to prove it, confirm it, and so his judgment will be just. Now, at the same time he's doing that, he says, I'm also being long-suffering. I'm hoping, he says, I'm begging you, he says, during this period before justice completely falls on the world, would you repent of that and escape that? Would, would you, because I'm offering you redemption out of the midst of that, come, be redeemed out of that, so that you'll not be subject to the justice. And in, in the sharing of the gospel, we know, of course, it's, it's like uh, the future of heaven and hell. That's the super simplified version of what the church teaches, that if you accept the Lord, believe in the Lord, you get to go to heaven. If you don't, you're going to hell. You're going to have the full ultimate justice uh, for it. And the reason why God has not already come back uh, to establish his kingdom is simply because, one, He's gathering the evidence of those that will be judged. And two, he's hoping that the remnant will be redeemed, that they'll repent and turn back to him. And by the way, quite honestly, it's not that the Lord has delayed his coming. It shows you how long-suffering the Lord is for this matter, how gracious 
he is. How merciful he is. That's the, that's the real thing that's taking place that we observe. Now, uh, along the way, some of us get harmed, you know, while that's going on. Okay. Well, they can kill the body, but they can't kill the soul. They can do harm to us physically, but they can't do harm to us spiritually. As long as we turn to the Lord, we're covered by his hand, it says. He's protecting us. He remembers us. We won't get lost in the shuffle in this whole process. He definitely will fulfill his good word, and he will comfort us in the end. We will be taken care of by the Lord, just as he promised. But in the meantime, these are the things going on in the world. Now, with that said, I want you to look at the next verse. Verse 17. Rouse yourself. Rouse yourself. Arise, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the Lord's hand the cup of his anger, the chalice of reeling that you have drained to the dregs. There is none to guide her among all the sons that are born, nor is there one who take her by the hand amongst all the sons she has reared. These two things have befallen you. You who mourn for me, the devastation and destruction, famine and sword, how shall I comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie helpless in the head of every street, like an antelope in a net full of the wrath of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. Therefore, please hear this, you afflicted, who are drunk but not with wine. Thus says your Lord, the Lord, even your God, who contends for his people, behold, I have taken out of your hand the cup of reeling, the chalice of my anger, and you will never drink it again. And I will put it into the hand of your tormentors who have said, lie down that we may walk over you. You have even made your back like the ground and like the street for those who walk over it. Now, there is a plain fact. Israel did disobey the Lord. After we went into the land. Let me just put it straightforward too. We killed every prophet that God sent us. And we even called for the death of our own Messiah and King. Now, I personally wasn't there. I personally, you know, uh, but my fathers were. And what they did got put on us, their children. And we're all suffering the... Judgment And God scattered us into the nations where no longer were we receiving the benefit of the promised land. We were subject to the enemies in those various lands. We have been walked over. In fact, the, that first phrase that says, you have even made your back like the ground. What it's saying is you've been buried in the dirt to the point that your back is just like the pavement of the road. You don't even make a bump in the road. You're just part of the pavement of the road for your oppressors to trample you down. But here's the thing the Lord has said. Now that judgment, that punishment, you saw me being just with you. Well, I'm going to come to the point because of my redemption. I'm going to pull that cup of judgment away from you. That chalice of reeling he refers to. That chalice of poison to you. I'm going to pull that judgment back from you. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to take that chalice. I'm going to put it in the hand of all the people who have been tormenting you. Now, 
We call this the redemption of Jerusalem. Do you remember? You know what Zechariah says that in the last days, what the city of Jerusalem will be for the nations? Are you ready? A cup of reeling. This is where Isaiah is saying God is going to take that cup that used to be upon Israel and is going to hand it over to the nations. And Jerusalem shall become for them a cup of reeling. It shall become a cup of poison. And by the way, in my lifetime, we have seen the nation of Israel become a nation again. And the first installment of the house of Judah coming back to the land. We have seen the Jewish people succeed in capturing Jerusalem in 1967. And that's only happened in my lifetime. And we have watched now that the Lord has taken the city of Jerusalem and made it a cup of reeling for all the nations of the world. And by the way, they're all uh, concerned about Jerusalem. They're all concerned about the old city. They're all concerned about the temple mount. They're all concerned about who gets to be worshipped on the temple mount. Is it going to be Allah or is it going to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? By the way, let me tell you where the nations are at. They don't want the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So guess what? He's going to make Jerusalem to them a cup of poison. Zechariah goes on to say specifically of it, it'll be a burdensome stone, so heavy and so burdened, the moment you attempt to touch it, it will fall on you and crush you. And you and I are witnesses in this day to those words. Now, we know the end of the story. We know that redemption will be coming. In fact, in the other portions of the Hoftors, he's going to tell us how that redemption comes. But the whole crux to the thing is he's going to take the cup of reeling away from the children of Israel. He's going to give it to the oppressors, and it's all about the redemption of Jerusalem. That's the reason why this is such a powerful theme and such a powerful teaching given by Isaiah. Now, let me go further, chapter 52, and here's what the Lord has now to say to us in the midst of this. Beginning at verse 1, Awake, awake, clothe yourselves in your strength, O Zion. Clothe yourself in your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean will no more come into you. Shake yourself from the dust. Rise up, O captive Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the chains around your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing and you will be redeemed without money. Let me stop there for just a moment. Do you see how that he's referring to Jerusalem as all of his people? Jerusalem is a specific city over in the land of Israel. But in this language, the redemption of Jerusalem is for the benefit of all the people, the redeemed of Israel. He's talking about the solution, the corporate solution for all of Israel, the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem. It's the, they're the same things. And the key word that you see here, and in fact, this is where this particular language begins to take a shape about Zion. You'll hear a lot of verses here in these chapters of Isaiah about Zion. So let me make sure 
we got the proper biblical definition of Zion. So you can see how God's going to do this. Why does he call us Zion? Well, it turns out that Zion is a real Hebrew word. Now, the proper pronunciation in Hebrew is Zion. Zion. And what is a Zion? Zion is when you take an olive tree and the branches have been broken off. And when you make the splice into the branch and you bring in another branch and you splice it into the tree. And what you do is you put it in there, then it's bound. Now, after three days when this has been done, you know what that's called? That binding and that being grafted in. Do you know what they call it? Zion. That's Zion. So all the messages here about Zion, about Zion, is talking about the remnant that is grafted in to the main tree. Now, by the way, uh, if you're familiar, I'm sure you are, with Romans chapter 11. This is when the Apostle Paul is trying to teach that there are natural branches and wild branches that have been grafted in. Everybody's grafted in. That's the remnant. In fact, that's when Paul in Romans 9 through 11 talks about the remnant. Not all those of Israel are Israel, but the children of promise. The remnant, they are the ones that God is working with. Now, for those of you who don't think, well, I'm not part of Israel, I'm not Jewish, I'm not, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, here I am watching uh, this Torah teaching thing. And by the way, I know there's some of you out there like that, because you sent me notes. Let me tell you what the scripture, what the prophets of Israel referred to you as. Zion. Now do you understand why those Jews like Herzl and Ben-Gurion, the ones who started the nation of Israel again in our modern times, that they referred to as Zionists? Because we're talking about bringing the house of Judah back and grafting it back into the land, grafting it back into the tree. So they're bound up and so they're Zionists. And by the way, it's not just natural branches that come back, it's wild branches that come back. They get grafted in. And so that's the reason why I don't care whether you were born Gentile or not, we are all of the same assembly of the commonwealth of Israel and you've been grafted in just like I've been grafted in. And you are part of Zion just like I'm part of Zion. You are part of these prophecies. And God has brought the captives out of the nations to come back to be part of his promised land. This is the great story of redemption. This is the great work of God. And this is where the prophet's giving it. Let me go a little bit further. This gets even more. I'm telling you, this would preach in a church on Sunday morning. That's how powerful this is. Verse 4, For thus says the Lord God, My people went down first into Egypt to reside there, then the Assyrians oppressed them without cause. Now remember, you were, in, you were down in Egypt and I brought you out? Remember, I taught you the first principle of redemption. I redeemed you out of, out of Egypt. And then, oh, by the way, the Assyrians came and took the whole northern kingdom and took you and oppressed you. And they're all, Do you remember all that? He's saying, you remember what happened in those times? He goes on further. Now, therefore, what do I have here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people have been taken away without cause? 
Again, the Lord declares, those who rule over them howl, and my name is continually blasphemed all day long. Is that not a description of what's going on in Israel today? The enemies of God howl, and they blaspheme his name. By the way, that's going on all over the nations, all the nations of the world. They're blaspheming the Creator. They're blaspheming the God of redemption. Verse 6, therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day, I'm the one who's speaking. Here I am. Now that's a message directly to us. It's the Lord saying, I don't care what's going on in the world. Here I am right now with you. I'm with you right now with you. Verse 7, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. By the way, you could substitute the word gospel for good news. That's where the word gospel comes from. Who announces peace and brings good news of happiness. Who announces salvation. By the way, the Hebrew word for salvation there is who announces Yeshua. That's what the gospel is. You announce the name Yeshua. And says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices, they shout together, joyfully together, for they will see with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. The last generation will see with their own eyes the judgments of the great tribulation and see the coming of the king. There will be a group of people who will see with their own eyes. He's announcing it. Break forth, shout joyfully together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Central message. The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all nations, that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. By the way, the holy arm, the Lord has bared the holy arm. In the Hebrew, that's called the Zoroah. You know what else is called the Zoroah? The lamb shank bone that's on the Passover platter. When Yeshua kept the Passover, he was revealing the holy arm of the Lord. The Zoroah Adonai. And Isaiah 53, the very next thing, asks, verse 1, Who has believed our message and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed to? Who has heard this message about the Redeemer, the salvation called Yeshua, who has bared his holy arm like the Lamb, who's the Lamb of God, like from the Passover. Do you see all this ties together? We call this sermon the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem. The church calls it the gospel. The Jews call it the final redemption. They're all talking about the same thing. But we who are messianics, who read and follow what the Torah and the prophets say, and listen to the testimony of Yeshua, this is called the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem to us. Amen? Shabbat Shalom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the words of the prophet Isaiah. Thank you, Lord, for the Hoftors of consolation, the great teaching of your redemption leading to restoration. 
We ask, Lord, in the midst of the incredibly terrible world that we're living right now and getting worse, we ask, Lord, that you continue to preserve and protect your people. And, Lord, we look forward to the day when you will take the cup of reeling and you will hand it to the nations. And we see the evidence of that taking place even now today. We thank you for your redemption. And we ask, Lord, that you would use this word to edify many brethren that are watching and being a part of it. We ask in Yeshua's name. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. And now we'll leave you with the ironic blessing. and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.
去。